I'm Dave Rubin and joining me today is the Congresswoman representing Georgia's 14th district, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Welcome to the Rubin Report. Thank you, it's good to be here. I am glad to have you. I said to you right before we started, we've got some polls up here that I thought maybe you could do some pull-ups from because you're always <laughs> you're always doing exercise on the Capitol. Should we start that way with a couple pull-ups or maybe we'll finish that? We, we can finish that way. <laughs> we'll finish that way. So, you know, it's funny, I, I've never sat down with you before and I'm sitting down with probably about uh, 15 or 20 Congress people and senators, et cetera. And people think of you as very controversial. And so I was like, all right, I really want to figure out what is what is truly like the position you hold that is the most controversial. And I really couldn't come up with that much. So maybe we start there. What do you make of that notion in well, general? Well, it seems to be in Washington, D.C., if you come in very convicted in your beliefs and really represent your district, and the beliefs that your district hold, you know, things like secure borders, a strong economy, uh, freedom of speech, protecting our second amendment, uh, say no more foreign wars, let's focus on America and America first, um, being unapologetic about being pro-life, wanting to protect children that seem to be under attack from these gender lies, things like that, uh, Washington DC and the mainstream media labels extreme. But actually in real America, you know, Northwest Georgia where I come from and pretty much all across the country, those types of things are not extreme. It's more Washington DC's position that is extreme. Do you sense that maybe some of that is shifting? I sat down yesterday with Speaker McCarthy at the Capitol and he was talking about the agenda and sort of the new Republicans that are here. And there does seem to be a better messaging at the moment. It's partly why I'm here for three days to talk to all of you guys, because it does seem like something's a little bit different than say the Republican of five or 10 years ago. Yes, and and I think I can say I've played a role in that. Um, that was one of my objectives when I came to Washington was to change the Republican Party. You see, I was a regular American, never had run for office, wasn't involved in politics at all, um, but I was very upset with the Republican Party. I was a Republican voter, but I didn't feel like the Republicans in Washington reflected our values. And so since I've come to Washington, I've, I've never backed down on the messaging that I've brought, the bills that I've introduced, but also having communication within our conference. Um, sometimes it's been arguments, con you know, it's been confrontation. At times it's been explanations and, and really good conversations of here's where our Republican Party needs to move to. This will reflect our voters across the country and then really be good for our country overall. I supported Kevin McCarthy in the speaker's race um, because I spent a lot of time talking with him ahead of time about what his goals were, what his objectives were. Um, and also I, was, I developed a relationship with him and was really glad that he listened to me and, and the things that were important for my district as well. Was it funny how that whole thing was working out <clears throat> and the strange bedfellows that created? Because it was like Trump was supporting him, you were supporting him, Gates, who obviously you're in line with on a lot of things, was not supporting him. It, and then everybody was sort of, the media was loving the fact that you guys weren't, weren't all walking in lockstep, which actually I tend to think is good that people are thinking for themselves, uh, but that it created all of these odd relationships that maybe didn't exist before. Well, I think it, what it did is it pulled back the curtain into the Republican conference and it showed different views that the media didn't expect. And, and a lot of people, of course, just watching from the outside didn't expect. Um, ha over half of the Freedom Caucus, I'm a member of the Freedom Caucus, yep. over half of the Freedom Caucus 
supported Kevin McCarthy, myself, Jim Jordan, many others. But then my some of my best friends, the people that I'm always in line with, they didn't. They opposed him. And then you saw the debate back and forth, sort of the internal war. But like I said, it was it was all on display on cameras, on C-SPAN, and the media was front and center, of course, enjoying it. Well, you want to know why? The media really likes to see Republicans fight with each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. But I have been calling um, basic our, our internal arguments, I call them the civil war within the party. And I think it's good. I really do. Um, this is what Washington is about. It's a, it's a place where we, we hammer out debates. We discuss policy. And yeah, that, that means that we argue sometimes. I, I never think that's a bad thing. What we do have to do in our conference, though, is we worked it out. We elected Kevin McCarthy as speaker. We had our rules package. It was the same, literally the same from day one to the last day. Only one change uh, to motion to vacate the chair went from five members to one mm-hmm. member. That was the only change in the rules package. But what we had to do is we had to say, all right, now that we've been through this, we have to come together because there's only 222 Republicans. It takes 218 yeah. to pass anything on the House floor. And we, we have big battles ahead. We have the budget. We've got the debt ceiling fight. Um, we're we're going to have the NDAA. We've got big things that we have to do. We don't control the Senate and we don't control the White House. So it's, it's some challenges ahead. So speaking of those numbers in the Senate, one of the, th- one of the things that you guys just did pass is this parental rights and education yeah. bill. And as a Floridian, I am well aware of a little transparency in education, obviously. Uh, were you shocked that not one Democrat signed this thing? I mean, all it is about is basically that you got to sign up, like back in the day, third grade, you're going to the zoo, your parent has to sign something saying you're going to the zoo. I mean, it really, it's just about transparency. Yeah, no, they fought us big time on it. Well, and you're a father as well. So I'm sure you appreciate it. And being from Florida, you love your freedom. We do love our freedom. (laughs) No, we fought the Democrats on it. And so the the things that they said in the bill debate, um, I actually presided in the chair in some of it, and then was paying close attention to that committee. Um, they were accusing Republicans of banning books, book burnings, and and not teaching history. They even they even called us racist. They called us all kinds of names. When what we were really saying is we want parents to have have the rights to have control over curriculum, uh, to be able to talk to their school boards, um, of course, to have control over their children because they're the parents. And then the second piece there, they're also the taxpayers yeah. that fund the schools. So I think their voice should be just as important. And all of us Republicans agreed uh, in spite of not one Democrat. So when AOC basically calls this thing fascist, which she did on the floor, and then uh, was it Hakeem Jeffries, I think, said that they're not going to teach. They don't want the Republicans don't want uh, the Holocaust to be taught. Mm. I'm guessing these guys don't talk to you on the DL, right? Like you're not you're not getting a lot of hellos in the hallways there and being like, hey, guys, you know, it's not true. (laughs) No, no. And well, here's the mode that they're in. So for people to understand, Democrats are in messaging mode right now. So they're going to fight Republicans in the House on everything we do, because in the House is the only place that Republicans have national power. We don't have it in the Senate. We don't have it in the White House. So they're in 2024 presidential campaign mode. So Hawking Jeffries, the the minority leader with the Democrats, he calls us extreme MAGA Republicans every single day. AOC calls us fascist and every other name that she can think of. Although I, I would say people should really pay attention to AOC. She's the true fascist. You see what fascism is, is it's that, um, I call it the unholy union 
of big uh, corporations and big government. And they have completely aligned together and it hurts the little people, the little pe people that she claims uh, to protect and support. Yeah, AOC is really the fascist herself. And Hawking Isn't it funny that, I mean, that's right out of Rules for Radicals, that you're supposed to accuse the others of what you're doing. That's right, and they do it, and they do it well. Joe Biden's doing it right now, too. If if people have been paying attention, he's tweeted out in the past, like, week or so, he's, he's, he's blaming Republicans for not wanting to fund border security to stop fentanyl from coming in the country, which is laughable, because under Joe Biden, we've seen fentanyl increase. It's literally doubled coming in the country, and over 300 Americans die every single day from fentanyl poisoning. So they, they, are, they are in messaging mode, accusing us of what they literally do and lying about it. What's going on in Georgia these days? Because it seems like it's hard to understand fully what's happening with Georgia. There are Senate seats that kind of seem like they could go either way. They end up going blue usually. Uh, obviously Kemp did better than, uh, I think better than people anticipated, but it certainly could have gone the other way. And you have an election denier running against him, even though it's supposed to be only Republicans that are election deniers. It's sort of a weird state in terms yes. of making sense of what's going on there. What, yeah. what is that? It's probably hard for a lot of people outside of Georgia to understand exactly what you explained. So Brian Kemp, our governor, did something really well. When when all the COVID shutdowns happened, Georgia, and sorry, Florida, yeah. we were actually the first state to reopen, yeah. um, thankfully. And, and that was something I had talked with Brian Kemp a lot about. Um, I would call him, Governor, we've got to reopen. We need our schools reopened. Our businesses need to be reopened. You know, basically begging them. Thankfully, Governor Kemp listened to all of us that were asking him for these things. We reopened. So our businesses got open again. People went back to work. Our kids weren't trapped at home suffering uh, from, oh my gosh, the list goes on with that. But so, so people in Georgia had a lot of things to be happy with Governor Kemp about. Another thing that he did is he passed constitutional carry. Mm -hmm. the, Georgia is a big gun state. We have a lot of gun owners and Second Amendment supporters. So that was a critical piece of legislation that he got done. And we have a very strong economy in Georgia. So these are the things that people may forget about where they get caught up in watching like um, the President Trump, uh, Governor Kemp arguments, you right, know, right. those, then there's a really more side stories. Because Trump did want him to keep the state closed longer than he did. In the beginning, yeah, yeah, that's what, and Dr. Fauci, Burks, they were advising President Trump. You can't fault President Trump. He was listening to the people that were supposed to be the experts. And yeah, he was telling everybody to, to shut down. Uh, Brian Kemp reopened, and I think there was a list of others that reopened. Um, so that shows you like some of the reasons kind of behind the scenes why people in Georgia supported him so much in right. his reelection. So why do you think the Senate seats go the other way? Well, I think it had to do with candidates. Um, I think it had to do with campaigns. Uh, another thing that people may not realize is a campaign is just like a business. Um, and not all of them do a good job. They really don't. There's a lot that goes into a campaign. It's, it's messaging is really important. Um, there's TV ads and placement, radio ads and placement. Social media is, is even just as important as TV and radio, maybe even more so. Um, it's your ground team, door knocking, phone calls. I mean, it literally is a mini business and they always don't, they don't always do it well. Uh, Herschel Walker's campaign was, was run by Washington, D.C., wasn't run by by people in Georgia that really understand 
uh, Republican Georgia voters. Um, Mitch McConnell's views and values are not accepted in Georgia, and that proved to be true with Kelly Loeffler's campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have uh, Mitch, Team Mitch shirts going around in my district, knocking doors, that's not a good look for your Republican senator's candidate, and, and that's, that's just the truth. Let me ask you a couple of the other things that you're sort of in the middle of right now. You were banned on Twitter. Was, was that your personal account or your government account? Just yesterday, it was my government account. Yeah. Oh, you were banned yesterday again? Well, okay. Oh, I was talking about, I didn't even know that. I was oh, talking yeah. about the original one. Okay, so the original up. one yeah. was my personal and campaign account. Right. Banned for the entire year of 2022. I could, it was during my reelection. I couldn't raise money. I couldn't message. I couldn't put my ads. I couldn't fight back and defend myself. I only had my congressional account. But I got it back when Elon Musk bought Twitter, yep. thankfully. Now, yesterday, my congressional account got banned, and they said it would be seven days. Do you know when I, what I shared? What was it? I shared the same thing that many media uh, companies, Daily Caller and others, were writing articles about. It was about the trans day of vengeance that was being planned. It is planned. Oh, I did see the tweet. Yeah. I didn't realize you were banned for it, too. I know that Sean Davis. A whole who, bunch yeah, of people yeah. got, got banned or, or got striked or, or locked out of their accounts. Because we were warning, this looks like a this looks like a violent extremist uh, terrorist um, Antifa. I've, I have entered a resolution to declare them as domestic terrorists. That's what they are. The group organizing it, what is an Antifa group locally, and they're they're organizing this event called uh, Trans Day of Vengeance. Yeah. Just on the heels of the horrific school shooting in Nashville, um, so all of us were in alarm, and I tweeted about it. And got uh, banned for seven days, but they've they've reopened my account this morning. Right. Oh, so did they force you to delete the tweet? Of course. So yeah. They forced you to delete the tweet, but they yes. did at least let you back. Yeah, on. but they were whitewashing it. Look at this. They were trying to completely yeah. take this off of Twitter, which is wrong. And and it was it, this wasn't any of us attack. It was not an attack on LGBTQ. Not at all. This isn't an attack on anyone's identity or or, or sexual identity. We are literally warning about a violent event that sounds violent um, and is, seems connected to the Nashville shooting right there in the Supreme Court. I'm pretty sure if they had the MAGA Day of Vengeance, uh, people, <laughs> people would not be that thrilled about that. The DC jail were, would be full. <laughs> were you able during the Twitter hearings, and there, some of them are still ongoing, and now there's this TikTok situation and all that, were you able to find out what level of coordination actually took your account out last year? I do, I do have some knowledge of that. Uh, John Solomon has done some really good reporting on that. And then we had the Twitter execs. They came into yeah. our oversight hearings as well. I didn't let them talk during my fight. We get five <laughs> minutes. So I told them, I said, all right, you guys, you silenced me and stole my freedom of speech uh, during the entire year of 2022. During my campaign, I said, by the way, I won. So you, did, you weren't that effective. But I said, so I'm silencing you for my five minutes. And I proceeded to let them have it. And I called Yoel Roth out on, on his disgusting um, uh, affection for child porn. Yeah. And that he, it, it was his duty and his job as in Twitter to take that off of Twitter and he did not do it. It was really weird, the child porn thing with Twitter because nobody seemed to care about it until Elon Musk came over and then suddenly everybody cared about it. Elon's doing more about it than anybody but now all the articles are that he's not doing enough. Of course. But nobody cared about more. But what, yeah. what about the people on the government side? Because I kept saying during the hearings, mm-hmm. it's not that I have sympathy for these Twitter people but they're, they're private employees who are 
maybe up to no good for sure, but they are also working with government people. And it seems like we still don't really know who those people are or how high that goes up. That is an extreme problem. So that's in Homeland Security. I mean, we know that that they are the ones that that run these disinformation programs in conjunction with the FBI, the CIA, and others. And so this is a serious problem. It's a weaponization of government, uh, basically targeting our First Amendment rights. Um, There's a weaponization of government committee. Jim Jordan is running that committee. Uh, So we coordinate on oversight under our chairman, Jamie Comer, Mm -hmm. and we coordinate on these things. But... Uh, we were and also, do you think you can do anything on it? That's, that's what oh, yeah. everybody always is, you know, it's like, okay, you have the hearing, does yes. anyone pay the price? Yeah. So I'm a business owner. That's really what I was, and a mom. I've got three kids. <laughs> uh, before I became a member of Congress, and I know that money is very powerful. So when you don't pay for something, that means that it discontinues. So we've been looking into things. I, speak, I spoke with Jonathan Turley last yep. night, and he's, he had a great suggestion for us on oversight. But this also goes into our budget and appropriations. We give The federal government gives out grants. Okay, all kinds of grants, and that's a whole other topic we could talk about. There's a lot of grants we have to cut out. But they give out grants for disinformation. So this is basically yeah. tax dollars funding all kinds of groups, outside groups, and they spend all their time finding things they want to censor, then they would send them to Homeland Security, uh, send them to the FBI and so forth, and then they come in and they funnel them down and then wipe them off of not just Twitter, which is actually one of the smaller social media companies, Facebook, Instagram on the much bigger ones. Let me give you one to look into because this will blow your mind if you didn't Hmm. hear about it. Do you know about NewsGuard? Have you heard about NewsGuard? Mm-hmm. So NewsGuard is one of these, you know, nonprofits which is funded by the government, seven hundred fifty grand. Hmm. I had uh, Marissa Streit; she's the CEO of PragerU, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. I had them on. I had her on my show talking about how NewsGuard has been looking into PragerU, and because of that, they're losing contracts with companies that don't want to work with them anymore, right? Yeah. So then, get this: that was a Friday. On Monday morning, I got an email from NewsGuard that they were looking into me. I had never even heard of them before, but by interviewing someone that they were looking into, and the the United States government seven hundred fifty grand to these people, so that's a little. There's a grant. I, I normally don't give you homework, so, but but, but there that's you go. a grant. Yeah, they very likely have that grant for yeah. that amount of money, or who knows more. And yeah. it's probably they have to renew it each year. See, that is exactly what we're going to start looking into. Yeah. But what we have to do is we have to take that into the budget and into our appropriations process take a little pencil and it's a racer and this we're not paying for this we have to cut spending anyways we should cut out these programs and so that is what i'm hoping to do um and, and we have a lot of heavy discussions right now that are ongoing with the budget while we're trying to get you know senile joe biden yeah. to actually come talk to us and talk to kevin mccarthy and, and actually start negotiating some of this well as long as you went there i mean what's going on with this president What's going on? It seems to me yeah. that everyone in this town knows something's not right, and everyone's kind of, you basically said it more forwardly than, than most yeah. at this point. And I have a great respect for older people. I do. I, th- I think most of us do. But, but I think um, it's, it's clear and obvious to everyone that he's definitely, I mean, he's late in his age. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he shows it. His physical and mental and speech capabilities I'll show it, and and that's wrong. It's wrong of him. It's wrong of his family to put America in this position, and it's an embarrassment. 
Um, but it's also dangerous for all of us. You know, the Afghanistan withdrawal is one of those perfect examples uh, where that was a failed withdrawal. And he's not the only one to blame. Mm -hmm. There are generals that are to blame, too. 13 soldiers dead, many more wounded that no one ever talks about. Um, uh, arming the Taliban, $85 billion worth of equipment and uh, horrific stuff. That and, picture that came out the other day where they show you all the uh, tanks and, yeah. the, and the SUVs and just on the helicopters, it's like, man, we literally just gave them mm -hmm. everything. Yeah, Bagram Air, Air Base, this is the one that not enough people are talking about. We built Bagram built it, used it. We should have never gave it up. Ne like, okay, withdrawal from Afghanistan, but we should have kept Bagram Air, Air Base because of its proximity to China and, and, and right there in the Middle East. Completely abandoned that air base. And do you know who's controlling it now? China. Oh, well, of course. No, of course. China. Wait, how, why China? They came yeah. in and they came in and, and negotiated with the Taliban. Hmm. China now controls Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. This, this is, these are the failures that, that not enough people know about. Um, look at the Chinese spy balloon incident. Allowed it to travail across the entire country before they shot it down. You know what that is an example of? That's an example of the type of information and control that China has over Joe Biden and his family because of the corrupt business dealings. Um, on the oversight committee, our chairman, Jamie Comer, has done a great job uh, leading, leading us into the investigation. We've subpoenaed the Biden family bank records. We have them. We literally have, you know, they always say follow the money. We have followed it, and it is proving that they were getting payments from China. And let's, let's be real. Does Hunter Biden have any job qualifications? No, of course not. 80 grand a month for a consulting job and something that he had no idea what he's doing. Millions of, of dollars. And, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Hallie, Hallie brother, Biden, yeah. she's in education. Is she is she qualified to be in the energy business, uh, in international energy business with China and U.S.? No. This Joe is, Biden himself. I mean, 50 right. years in government now. I don't know that he should be worth millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, according he's to the been salary, here but, longer than I've been alive. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. That's, that says it all. That, that's, and I'm not young. I'm 48. That, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's do, uh, you got two years on me. You got two years on me. Let's do uh, just a couple other things. Um, you mentioned to me right before we started that you're trying to pass the Protect Children's Innocence Bill, yeah. uh, obviously connected to all of the, the gender mm -hmm. stuff that everyone is sort of endlessly talking about. It's mm -hmm. rather bizarre. It is. Um, you know, I'm a mom, so that's the best part of my life. And I just love our kids. And I think childhood is such a precious and important time. And it's a time that we really have to protect kids and how they grow and develop and how they feel about themselves. Um, and, and there's a sexualization happening in our education system and then even worse on social media. Uh, and tragically, we've seen a multi-billion dollar industry bloom practically overnight uh, targeting children. So, you know, if you've ever heard of Chloe Cole or maybe yeah, you've interviewed yeah, yeah. her. Yeah, I uh, haven't, but I, but I know who she is, the detransitioner. She's yeah. so brave. Yeah, detransitioner. Yeah. Um, and she's like a spokesperson for the community, which is actually really big. Just not all of them want to come out. It's a difficult thing. Mm -hmm. um, but hysterectomy at age 15, had started puberty blocker, blockers at 12 or 13, um, testosterone. You know, these are the kinds of things that are these kids are doing before they're old enough to vote buy cigarettes, buy alcohol, graduate from high school, go to college, join the military, big adult, get a tattoo even. Think about it, you gotta be 18 yeah. to get a tattoo, yeah. but they can cut their breast off or, or horrible surgeries, genital surgeries. Um, 
it's just wrong. And, you know, it's not a judgment on them. They may be confused or, or, or developing or have an identity crisis. It's not about that. But it's about uh, this industry for profit uh, causing permanent damage to their bodies before they're even old enough to be adults. Do you think you'll get, I mean, considering that no Democrat signed on the transparency bill, do you think you'll get one Democrat to, because again, I haven't, what I know people will do is they'll say, well, she doesn't, she's either a bigot or something towards trans people, which is actually completely the reverse of what you just said. Um, But but that's probably why a certain amount of Democrats that maybe aren't completely off the deep end will just be like, I'm not signing on because it's got Marjorie's name on it. That, that, and that could be the case. They've done a really good job creating a character of me yeah. that doesn't exist, and they present it to the public all the time. So that that could be the case. But I would I would hope that they could put uh, responsibility and rational thought uh, above politics and lies in the media, because these are our these are our children, and we're, we're seeing story years later these kids have serious medical issues. And they regret it, mm-hmm. and they commit suicide. You know, they say this is to prevent suicide. They're committing suicide after they transition, and it's a serious problem. But my bill is really important. I'm, I'm have a lot of support. Um, it's it's a sort of a flagship bill for all the states. Mine was the first bill introduced in the nation. Uh, what it would do is make it a federal law to stop any so-called gender affirming care on anyone under the age of 18. Um, no puberty blockers, no hormone treatments. It stops all of that. And it gives these victims a right uh, to sue if they have some sort of injury involved, if they've already gone through the process. And so I think it's important. And I, I really hope that every Republican will vote for it. I hope that Democrats will come around and see this is the right thing to do. And we just got to protect kids and let them grow up. Philosophically, I'm curious, would you prefer that it be done at the state level? You're, you're obviously trying to do it at the federal level, but would you prefer, I mean, obviously, Cali's not going to do it, but yeah. Georgia might, Florida might. It's right. a, you know, it's sort of happened. It's actually happening in Florida yeah. right now. W- would that be your did. preference generally to have everything be done at the state level? I'm a big state rights person, but on this one, no. I'll tell you why. And I have this argument with some of my conservative friends. Yeah. Uh, they're saying, this is a state issue, Marjorie. And I say, no, it's not. California passed the bill. They put it on Governor Newsom's desk, and he signed it, making California a trans kids sanctuary state. Sanctuary state. So not only are they saying that the government of California is going to wrap them in and and make this process happen for these kids, they also take away parents' rights to stop it. That is a state that has crossed the line, in my opinion. California is not alone. We're looking at New York. We're looking at Washington. We're looking at other states blue states that are following down the same track um, uh, 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 and going to enable this process even worse so more children are going to be victims. Secondly, we do have federal laws that prevent child abuse. Mm -hmm. And this one, to me, falls in the child abuse lane. And I think it's important to make it a federal law. If I'm not, I might be mistaken about this, but I think I saw you on Tim Pool talking about sort of just the division of the states right now and that the red states are really... Well, they're working, and the blue states, it's just not working. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've asked several Congress people about this in the last couple of days. I mean, what do you make of that generally, and, and then what keeps us united if, if that is the direction that we're going? Well, I, I've used the term national divorce, and my words got twisted around. I used national divorce for a reason, because that's a court process. That is a legal process of, of dividing. 
but I did not want it to be mixed up with civil war or secession. And I'll tell you why. When I talk about a national divorce, I talk about states having more state rights. Um, and I talk about the federal government being completely shrunk down more towards where it should have been and where it started out. Kind, yeah. Kind of like those guys. Yeah. They kind of <laughs> knew what they were guys. doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they warned us of a lot of the serious problems that we're seeing today. Um, I think we maintain a military. We've got to protect our borders. Um, uh, we definitely need need to stay the United States of America. But many Republicans, many conservatives have gotten so fed up with the left's ideas. Um, the climate change lies. Uh, we, I'm sorry, we don't want to give up our gas stoves. We like to be able to buy uh, a gas or diesel-fueled yeah. combustion engine vehicle. We don't want to be forced onto electric. I mean, we might choose to buy it, but we don't want to be forced. Yeah. Um, we, we don't want our children being taught that there's more than two genders. We say there's only two, male and female, um, and, and so on. We could give all the examples. And Republicans, you know, they used to say they needed a safe space. The left said they needed a safe space. We've gotten to the place where we're like, we need a safe space. Yeah. And so that's what I was talking about when I mentioned national divorce and dividing up. Is that just one of those things that as you're saying it, you're like, oh, I know what the media is about to do. Yeah, <laughs> always. <laughs> they always do it. Yeah. So, do, do you bother with uh, CNN and MSNBC and the rest of them anymore? Um, they've. I don't think MSNBC's ever invited me on. They just like to talk about me every single day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> CNN, I do talk with them on the Hill. Um, there's a lot of pretty good reporters on the Hill. Uh, I try not to attack the media because I actually respect the press and I really want to see them. I want to see the political bias drop out of the press. And I think the profession of journalism is a, a dying art, and I really want to see it come back. And I want the press, and I tell them, I literally tell them this, I'm probably one of the few members of Congress, if it really came down to it, that would fight to the very end to defend their freedom, because I think it's important and it needs to be preserved. And I'm also, at the same time, one of the most attacked people by the press but I have a faith in humanity, and I really want to see them do a better job. And I would like to see our press corps uh, have their freedom um, and remove the political bias and just report the news for the people. Let me ask you one more, because uh, it's sort of happening at the moment. Obviously, there was this horrific shooting in Tennessee. Uh, it sounds like the, the shooter was either trans or at least identified in some way that was non-binary or, or one of these things. We know that this is going to call for more pushing of, of banning guns. I mean, Biden basically is saying it already. Obviously, you're a big uh, Second Amendment advocate. Um, yeah. Is there anything, I mean, what can we be done here? Is there anything that can be done or is this just, it's now baked into the system that mm. these things are just going to keep happening? I have a unique perspective. When I was in 11th grade, it was the first year that then Senator Joe Biden had gotten the law passed to make schools gun-free school zones. And before that, you know, the guys would pull up in their trucks and they had their, their hunting rifles in their trucks. It wasn't uncommon for guns to be at school. Um, but when I was in 11th grade, that law passed. Schools became gun-free school zones. One of the kids at my school brought three guns to school into the first period class um, and took over our entire school mm -hmm. after firing a weapon. And so we spent five hours on lockdown. So I know that fear of being trapped in a school where there's no good guy with a gun. The only person that has a gun, and he had three, was a very mentally disturbed, um, emotionally upset 
student that was around my same age, um, and we were all at mercy of what he might decide to do. Luckily, no one died that day. Uh, so I have that perspective, and I'm and I believe children are they're our most precious resource. If President Biden is protected by guns, Nancy Pelosi is protected by guns, our Capitol is protected by men with guns, I think our kids should be protected. And if this threat is, we see it over and over again, if it's going to keep going, well, you know what? We need to harden our schools and protect our kids uh, the same way we protect gold, money in banks, Hollywood celebrities at their big banquets and award ceremonies. I believe that's what we should do. But I've asked this question. I think we need to finally take a look at SSRIs. Mm -hmm. We need to look at these medications for anxiety and depression because, I mean, pretty much every single one of these shooters is on or off these meds. Um, I've also wondered about this particular uh, shooter in Nashville. Uh, What medications were they taking if they were transitioned? How much testosterone? That's going to open up a whole other set of issues. Because testosterone creates aggression. And if she's had too much in her body, how was that affected with SSRIs or whatever else? I think the American people deserve to know. I think, I think the coroner's report should be made public. It's time to have these discussions and then we need to make decisions there. One more on that. What do you think, you know, they haven't released the manifesto that apparently mm. she wrote. I'm, I'm really 50-50 on this. I believe in transparency, but on, on, the, on another side of that, if they release it, it almost incentivizes more people to do it because then it's saying to them, oh, I can do something crazy and then have the whole world read my, you know, mind comp in essence. What, right. where, what do you think about that? I understand that the thought process of not rewarding that shooter, but let's be real, the shooter's dead. Thank God for those those officers that yeah. went in. And Which that was unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. That video, yeah. um, and so I'm, I, I believe in the truth being told and we've seen manifestos in the past. I think this one should be released. It should be part of studying what's wrong and exposing. Um, there also could be a network of people. That's something that um, is being investigated, actually, mm-hmm. by law enforcement because of this planned uh, um, uh, Trans Day of Vengeance here in Washington, organized by an Antifa group. And there were talks, or there have been talks, of a, a group that raised money for firearms training uh, to defend trans rights. The, these are all discussions, and maybe that manifesto has information about this. Again, it's um, it, it could be a, a group of people that were organized and supposedly this group called for action in Nashville. I don't know. This is are things that are floating around yeah. and up to, I would hope the Department of Justice would take it serious the same way they're targeting January 6th uh, pe- people that walked in the Capitol. They should be taking this serious. And so I do think it should come out. All right. One more on a slightly less serious note. Do you have access to the Jewish space laser? <laughs> I don't, but I funded them. <laughs> I voted to fund them. I, I support Israel. But you never sat in the thing. No. <laughs> no. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, and nice. uh, I hope we can do it again. Yeah, let's do it again. Thank right. you so much. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubenreport.locals.com.